You are listening to audio from The Creek Church. If you would like more information about The Creek, please be sure to visit our website at thecreekfw.com. Good to see you guys, man. I love you guys so much, and I'm glad you're here. Uh, I was thinking uh, this week, it's amazing how we still fight over things that are settled. You ever have that in your house? The argument's been settled, but you still fight about it? If you got kids, you know how that game works, right? You know, typically, I don't settle the arguments. My kids are grown, but when they were young, I would always settle it the same way. Go ask your mother. But so she would have to settle the arguments. But isn't it frustrating that once you settle it, we're not arguing this anymore, stop it, done, no more. And then you hear them in another room, they're still going. And you're like, why are we still doing this? And you're like, what, what other form of punishment can I think up? to get them to shut up. And so you're just like, it's amazing. But you know what's amazing to me? I just, you know, we've been going through this study of Galatians and it's exactly what happens in the church. I mean, something gets settled and we still want to argue about it. We still want to fight about it. We still want to discuss it. We still want to keep going around the same circle over and over. And and in Galatians, we started a couple weeks ago. So Galatians chapter one, Paul, the guy who wrote it named Paul, really kind of goes into this where, where he just lays out what the gospel is. Look, this is the gospel. There's no other gospel. That's it. It's settled. Stop arguing about it. This is a big deal because a lot of us, we get into this, this, the same issue that the church was facing then. Like there's this, there's this potential division that's happening between law and grace. Or if you grew up in church and you got some of those scars and baggage, you remember it as legalism, right? It's legalism. And here's all the things you can't do. If you do this, you're going to hell. If you don't do this, you're going to hell. You know, so every week I would come into church going, I think I'm going to hell. And then by the end you get it settled. Like, okay, I think I'm good for the next hour. (laughs) And then that hour passed, like, I got to get back to Sunday because I got to get everything fixed again, right? And we just get in this cycle, because we, the gospel is this, it's good news. The good news is what Jesus did, and listen to this, what he does. So the good news about what Jesus did was this. He died on a cross. He was a sacrifice for our sin. He's God in the flesh. He's the only one who could absorb that wrath and that penalty for the sin because of his perfection. And what he did was die on the cross, and he rose again. That's what he did. What he does is makes me righteous before God and removes that wrath and penalty for my sin away from me. He took it on. So, so we've got to realize the good news is what God did and what God does. And, and a lot of times we hear that news. We hear that message, and we're like, that's just too easy. Because we've grown up in this context of, of if it's too good to be true, it is. And, and there's no such thing as a free lunch. So yeah, yeah, what do you want from me? But we hear this message, and so what we do is we go, yeah, I get that, I get that Jesus died for me, rose again, and he wants to make me righteous, but there's got to be something more. There's got to there's be something I do. So what we do is we start adding this list of stuff, this list of really externals that says, okay, that, that, that's good news, but I don't think that fully gets it, so I've got to add these things. And so we start to live in a way that we recreate rules, we recreate the laws, and we get wrapped up in legalism and think, this is what I have to do to be saved. That, yeah, I prayed and I asked Jesus to be my Savior, I asked for forgiveness of my sins, I submitted under the weight and mercy, but then I've got to do these things in my life so that he'll continue to love me and continue to keep me in salvation. 
And you know, I mean, every one of us will create different things. Like you have to go to church twice a month. You have to give. You have to serve. You, you can't say these words and you have to say these words. And you know, you, like I've got to redeem myself because, because I want him to save me. And, and if we think that's salvation, then here's what Paul is teaching us in Galatians 1. That's not the gospel. That's not the good news of what Jesus did and what he does. You've now added something to it. But then on the other side of the spectrum is, you know, if you got legalism, then you got license, right? You got just this free-for-all where we think, well, if Jesus paid for all of my sin, then I can just do what I want. So what he did is he paid the tab. It's an open, it's an open tab, so I can do whatever I want because I've got my get-out-of-hell-free card, and so I've got eternity secured, so I can live however I want. And if that's the case, what Paul is teaching us That's not the gospel either because we've become an abuser of the grace of what Jesus did on the cross because we're living a life that doesn't submit to his lordship and to him as our savior and redeemer. And what we have to understand is either one of those things, they're not the gospel. And so Paul says, look, if anybody comes and starts to add these or or say this, you can do what, look, let them be accursed. Even if an angel says that to you, let them be accursed. That's not the gospel. The gospel has been settled. It stands for all time. And that's where chapter two picks up. And so if you got your Bible, go to Galatians two, but, but put, put something there to mark your spot because we're gonna go to Acts 15 first. Because Galatians two, the first 10 verses that we're going to be in is really the commentary or, or the, the kind of recap of what happened in Acts 15. It's like watching Sports Center. You didn't watch the game, so you watch Sports Center because you know everybody at work's going to be talking about it tomorrow. So you need to know who scored how much, how many rebounds they had, everything going on, who won the slam dunk contest, everything. And so you got to know it all so you can have an intelligent conversation because you don't want them to think you're an idiot and you don't watch anything on TV. You know, or if you don't watch sports, it's this. It's the cliff notes to the book. I like those, man, because that way you can get, at least get the book report done, right? You can pass. Okay? You're not, you're not going to get any scholarships off of that report, but you can pass, right? I mean, you know, sometimes the college philosophy is D's get degrees, right? So anyway, come on. Uh, so Acts chapter 15, so what's happening is this division is threatening the body, and so there's this council in Jerusalem. And, and I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to read you a couple verses so we can really kind of get the meat of it to get back into Galatians. But it says in verse 1, But some men came down from Judea and were teaching the brothers, Unless you are circumcised according to the custom of Moses, you cannot be saved. So what, th- these guys, are they're called Judaizers. So they, they, they were Jews. They had heard the message of grace that Jesus was, was crucified and he was resurrected. They heard what he did. And they're, they're about, all about what he does. But they're like, he's not going to make you righteous unless you believe and you have to get circumcised. Because circumcision for the Jewish nation was, was an external sign of the covenant of Abraham. Now, Jesus brings a new covenant. We just celebrated it with communion. We honored it. We remembered it. At that, at that Passover meal that Jesus had with his disciples, they're remembering and celebrating when, when God led the, the nation of the Jews out of captivity, out of Egypt, so that he could go into the land that he promised them. And so they had this meal. They would have this meal in a celebration and honor. And so at that meal, Jesus is leading that. There's a lot of verbiage and a lot of, a lot of description and remembrance of the Passover. But Jesus does something different. 
He takes the bread on the table and he breaks it and he hands it to his disciples. He says, this is my body which is broken for you. I mean, that, that, that very night he was going to be arrested and by the end of that weekend he was going to be crucified and resurrected, that he was going to be beaten beyond recognition. He says, I'm, I'm giving my body for you. It's by my wounds that you can be healed. It's by these stripes that I'm going to receive over the next couple of days that you can have healing. And it's, it's, it's my body. I'm giving it, and it's broken for you. And then he picks up a, a cup of wine, and, and this cup that he picked up would have been the last cup of the evening, and it's called the covenant cup. And he raises this cup of wine. And, and the, the, the disciples at the table knew what was going on because they, they were good Jewish boys and they'd grown up. And every year we did this tradition. And every year somebody would recite all of the language for this Passover meal. But Jesus is doing something different. He raises this cup and he says, this is a new covenant that I make with you. It's in my blood. And he says, this is my blood which is poured out for the remission of sins of many. Uh, it's interesting to me why he said in that verse, you know, because for God so loved the world that he gave his son, but then Jesus says that it's poured out for many. It's because he knows that he's paying the price for all sin, but there's only so many that are going to come and, and submit to his lordship and say, forgive me. And so he makes a new covenant in the blood. See, it's not an external sign. It's an internal thing. So when you think circumcision, it's not external. The Holy Spirit, by faith in Christ through that grace circumcises our heart, starts to cut away at our heart and shape us more in the image of Jesus. And, and Jesus is making this new covenant. And so there are these people that are saying, no, 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 the gospel's too easy. You gotta fall back into our rules. This is how I found righteousness. And so that's what sets up this council and the debate, the discussion, and the argument. And go down to verse six. The apostles and the elders were gathered together to consider this matter. And after there had been much debate, so they had talked about this, they discussed it, they'd argued. Peter stood up and said to them, brothers, you know that in the early days God made a choice among you that by my mouth the Gentiles should hear the word of the gospel and believe. So on the day of Pentecost, Acts chapter 2, what you've got is Jesus crucified, resurrected, Jesus ascends, Acts chapter 2, the Holy Spirit comes down, Peter goes out and preaches, he's in Jerusalem, and so this message of the gospel goes out to the Jews first. It's, it's what Romans teaches us about the gospel, that it is the power of God unto salvation to the Jew first, then to the Gentile. But Peter starts preaching this message, and people who are outside of the Jewish nation start hearing it. They're like, we need that. We want that. What do we got to do to be saved? Well, Peter shares the gospel. He says, you, you guys saw that I was preaching the gospel to people outside of the Jewish nation, to the Gentiles. I was preaching it to them, what Jesus did, what Jesus does, and you know what? They believed. And God, who knows the heart, bore witness to them by giving them the Holy Spirit, just as he did to us. And he made no distinction between us and them, having cleansed their hearts by faith. So what Peter's saying is, look, you guys know that I was preaching to the Gentiles. And I was preaching the simple message. It's, it's what Jesus did. He died on the cross and he rose again. And what he does, he will make you righteous before God by grace, through faith, or through faith by grace, if you submit to his lordship and mercy. And they believed that. And the same Holy Spirit that was sealing the deal for us was doing it for them. So what's, I, I can't argue with that because they're getting saved. And then verse 11 or verse 10, he goes, now, therefore, now, why? Are you putting God to the test by placing a yoke on the neck of the disciples that neither our fathers nor we have been able to bear? It's kind of like church membership, right? Here's the standard. Well, can you meet it? Absolutely not, but we want to see you try. Why? He says, look, we, 
this law that you're trying to bring us back under only showed us that we can't live up to it. We can't attain righteousness. We can't get our salvation. We can't work for our salvation. It's a gift. Why on earth are you trying to put that, that, that burden on young believers when you yourselves, our fathers, our forefathers, none of us could live up to this. It took Jesus to get us over that bar and you're making these people try to give up to that, live up to that bar? I mean, Peter was like, what's up with that? He finishes that by saying, but we believe that we will be saved through the grace of the Lord Jesus just as they will. They settle it. It's not the externals. It's, it's the transformation. It's what happens in here. And so then they decide, you know what? This, this message has kind of caused some issues around the churches. We need to send a letter. We got we to fix this. You know, it's kind of like that email you got to send sometimes, you know, or that text or that phone call or that conversation you got to have. And so they sit down, they write a letter to the Gentile believers, and, you know, they're apologizing for all the trouble, you know, and everything, and like, we're sorry. But, but I love it gets into the meat in verse 28. It says, for it has seemed good to the Holy Spirit and to us, to lay on you no greater burden than these requirements, that you abstain from what, was been, what has been sacrificed to idols and from blood and from what has been strangled and from sexual morality. If you keep yourselves from these, let, pay attention to this, you will do well, farewell. He didn't say, the council didn't say, if you do these things, you'll be saved. If you do these things, you'll do well. Because there's a, the big argument, and Paul even had to settle it in the church, because, see, the Gentile, the, this meat sacrificed to idols and strangled and blood, all that, the issue was this, that the Jews held to a sacrificial system, and that was sacred meat. It was all sacred. But the Gentiles were like, we're not under your system. And after the temple sacrifices, they could get meat on sale. I mean, it's just brilliant, right? I mean, it's economics to a Gentile. It's like, hey, I can buy it for $5.99 a pound, or I can go to the temple after it's been sacrificed and buy it for $1.99 a pound. What's up with I mean, come on. And this was causing division in the church because they're like, you're eating that meat. Yeah, because it was on sale. <laughs> the Gentiles don't know. And so they're like, look, it, that, that'll, help, that'll help some of the division while we work things out and stay away from sexual morality because that's just gonna get you in a place you don't wanna be anyway. And he says, but if you do, if you do these things, you'll do well. They didn't tie salvation to it because, because salvation isn't tied to how well we behave. It's an internal and it's settled. And Paul's at this council. Paul's there. And so now go over to Galatians chapter 2. Then after 14 years, as Paul saying this, I went up again to Jerusalem with Barnabas, Titus, and taking Titus along with me. It's like from last week, discipleship. Who are you bringing with you? He took Barnabas and Titus. I went up because of a revelation and set before them, though privately before those who seemed influential, the gospel that I proclaim among the Gentiles in order to make sure I was not running or had not run in vain. So Paul's saying, look, I, this revelation of the gospel that I received from Jesus himself, I want to make sure I'm going in the right direction with this. So I went to them who seemed influential, the elders, the apostles. I wanted to know I was going the right direction because here, here I'm just preaching that you put your faith in a resurrected Jesus and you'll be saved. I'm not preaching that, that you got to follow all these rules and all these other things and you have to be circumcised and you have to, you have to do this. You can't say this anymore. You can't go do this. You know, I, I, I'm not preaching all that. I'm preaching Jesus. Just get to Jesus and let him work all the other stuff out. 
And he says, I just want to make sure. And then he says, but even Titus, who was with me, was not forced to be circumcised, though he was a Greek. Titus was the happiest man in Jerusalem right there. He's like, thank you very much. Yeah, yet, uh, yet, because of false brothers secretly brought in who slipped in to spy out our freedom that we have in Christ Jesus so that they might bring us into slavery, to them we did not yield in submission even for a moment so that the truth of the gospel might be preserved for you. What Paul's saying is like these Judaizers, while we were there, they kind of infiltrated. They're like, we want to we check on you and see about this freedom you got because we don't think you really have freedom. We think you need to follow our rules. And so they were spying out on them. And so Paul says, we didn't even give them the time of day. Because we wanted to preserve the freedom in Christ that we have for you. He's writing the Gentiles. You guys have been arguing about this. You know what? We went to Jerusalem so this matter could be settled, and we didn't get into it. We, didn't decide it. we decided not to argue with these guys because we want to preserve the freedom of the gospel for you so you don't have to fight about it. It's been settled. The gospel is salvation. It's been settled, and we're not going to get back into these circular arguments. And so we didn't even give them the time of day. And from those who seem to be influential, what they were makes no difference to me. God shows no partiality. Those, I say, who seemed influential added nothing to me. They didn't put any more rules or regulations on me. On the contrary, when they saw that I had been entrusted with the gospel to the uncircumcised, that's the Gentiles, just as Peter had been entrusted with the gospel to the circumcised, that's the Jews, for he who worked through Peter for his apostolic ministry to the circumcised worked also through me for mine to the Gentiles. He's saying it's the same Holy Spirit. The same spirit that when Peter spoke to the Jews and they believed, they were cut to the heart, they believed, they repented, they received the Holy Spirit. That sealed the deal for them. The same Holy Spirit, I'm seeing that happen with the Gentiles, with people who are outside of the Jewish nation. It's the same Spirit. And when James and Cephas, that's Peter and John, who seemed to be pillars, perceived the grace that was given to me, they gave the right hand of fellowship to Barnabas and me, that we should go to the Gentiles and they to the circumcised. Only they asked us to remember the poor, the very thing I was eager to do. Isn't it amazing? The very thing I was eager to do. We get so caught up in these arguments and circular discussions that meanwhile, the message that needs to get to the people who it should get to doesn't go. But Paul says, look, when they, when they heard this, when they saw the grace, when they perceived the grace in us, they didn't make a distinction. What they did is they extended the right hand of fellowship. They brought us into connection. They brought us into community. This is the beautiful thing of, of gospel-centered community. It's where the church is being, being brought together. And as we're, we're talking about this and I'm praying about this message, I just started thinking of quilts, man. I mean, I, I've got a quilt here. It's the patchwork quilt. My grandmother made this. My grandmother's not with us anymore. She's in heaven. But she, uh, she made quilts. And, and I keep this quilt because this is, this is a way that she expressed her love to all of us. I have this quilt. I have three quilts from her. And she would express her love to us by giving us these quilts and making them with her own hands. And she didn't do it by herself. I mean, she got with her church group in the basement of their church. And they quilted together. They would cut out these, all these little squares cut out these patches. They would get together and they would sew them. They'd put the batting in, they'd put the backing on. And every one of these quilts is unique. This is my quilt. It's blue because growing up I had a Linus blanket 
and it slowly disappeared. My mom actually confessed to me last night that she would have to cut pieces off of it because I would drag it through the dirt and the mud, and she said I just couldn't wash it. She couldn't get it away from me, so she actually cut it in two and sewed it so she could wash one while I carried the other one. And so I love blue blankets, and so my grandmother made me a blue blanket. It's unique. It's mine. I have this one. I have another one that's yellow and blue, and then when Heather and I got married, she gave us a wedding ring quilt, which will be 25 years old on Tuesday. But it made me think about this patchwork of community, how God's bringing the church together. There's all this fighting. Well, you're different than me, and you're not circumcised, or you're not a Jew, and you're, you know, there's all this differences, but, but this is the patchwork of community. And when I think of that, it's just it's a beautiful reflection of God's heart for us and, and love, that our community, our connection, our connection, we are connected by the gospel. That connection was made out of love. It's in it, that we are an expression of God's love. Because God loved us and puts us in relationship that, we, we, that we, can, we can express that. Jesus said, look, the world will know you're my disciples by how you love one another. So this whole thing is an expression of love. And, and this expression of love is made in relationship. It's God in a relationship with us. It's us in a relationship with one another. We're not designed to do this faith alone and this walk alone. I mean, it's just like none of these squares are designed to do its intended purpose alone. I'm not gonna receive warmth by by a one inch by one inch square of fabric. It's when it comes together in the relationship. And you think about this relationship, it's the Holy Spirit that brings the unity of the fabric tied together by the thread of the gospel. And it's unique. We're all different swatches of fabric. We're all unique. We're all fearfully and wonderfully made. It's a beautiful expression of the diversity of the body of God. That we're cut from different claws, but you know what? The Holy Spirit draws us in and brings us together. You know, I think that's a beautiful reflection of Revelation chapter 7, where it's every tongue, every tribe, every nation singing the praises of God. That when we come together, that's a reflection of the kingdom. That we come together as different as we are. We all got baggage. We got issues. We got stuff. We, got, we come from broken homes. We come from put together homes. We come from divorces. We come from married. We come from all kinds of backgrounds, all kinds of issues. We're different colors. We speak different languages. We do all things different. We have different traditions. We have different customs. But yet, when we come into this room, we are united by the power of the Holy Spirit and the thread that brings us together is the gospel. Look around this room. There's no no other reason in the world that we should be together in a room other than Jesus has brought us here. And that's the reflection of gospel-centered community. See, we can find community in different ways. We find community around sports, around, around our Pinterest boards. We find community around things we hate together, which turns, that if you find community in mutual hate, that turns divisive, implosive, toxic, and dangerous. But I'm speaking of gospel-centered community, that what brings us together is the thread of the gospel, united by the, the, the beauty and the power of the Holy Spirit. 
And the gospel does some incredible things in our community. And we've got to understand that. Well, well Paul's teaching here, this right hand of fellowship, what's happening is, is he says, look, he's reminding the Gentile, Gentiles, he's reminding the church in Galatia and reminding us that you and I are created for community, that God brought us in. He created us in his image. God himself is relationship. In the beginning, when God made man, he said, let us make man in our image. Well, what does that mean by us? It's called the triune nature of God. It's the Trinity. I mean, you've heard, you've heard us say God is a father, God is Jesus, and God is the Holy Spirit. Those are three distinct, yet one. It's not that God the Father put on his Jesus hat and came to earth and go, now I'm Jesus. And then when he was crucified and resurrected, he was taken up into heaven, he puts on his Holy Spirit hat, now I'm the presence and power of God on the face of the planet. No, they are three individuals, yet one in relationship. The Father is not the Son. The Son is not the Spirit. The Spirit is not the Father. They're unique, yet one. It is the essence of connectedness and relationship. That's what we're created for. We're created in his image But to get to the good news, we've got to understand the bad news. That image was broken and marred by sin. I mean, if you think about an image, think about a clear picture in a mirror, and then sin just shatters it. And now it's broken, it's it's jagged, and, 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 and we spend all of our life trying to put it back together. But what we have to realize is that when, when Adam and Eve sinned, that became the inherent inherited nature, that you and I inherited the nature of sin. I mean, case in point, my, my girls are grown, but when they were young, I did not have to teach my girls how to lie. I did not have to teach them how to bite another child. <laughs> I did not have to teach them to go and t- take away the toys of other kids. That was their inherent nature. That's our inherent nature. It's a sin nature. I had to teach them to speak truth, to love, to share. What a concept. But that connection was broken. That relationship was broken. And it, it, it can only happen. See, we, we spend our life trying to get it back because Solomon wrote in Ecclesiastes chapter four that eternity is set in the heart of man, that we long for that connection. We want it. We crave it. I mean, even, even the most introverted person, we can't do life by ourselves 100% of the time. We need interaction and, and, and the, the relationship with other people. And we try and try and try. And what happens is we're working a list of externals and we never get there. It's only through Jesus. And so we're created for it. But the the bad news is this. It was broken, but the good news is Jesus provides the redemption for community. That he gave his life on a cross. What he did when he died on the cross secured our redemption so that we can have this restored relationship. It's called reconciliation. It's so you and I can be righteous before the Father. That in, in his crucifixion and his death, he absorbed the wrath of God so that when we fall on his mercy and we come to him and at, declare him as our Lord, our Savior, and we humble ourselves to him, then what happens is he sets us righteous before God. It's our vision around here. He sets us in a relationship with our Father that is no longer broken. It's, it, it, it's, what, it's what happened in Ephesians chapter three where it says that, that Jesus is the one who redeemed us and brought us into this connection, that he restored it. He tore down the dividing wall of hostility so we can be one. 
I mean, in, in the prayers that Jesus prayed in John chapter 17, before he was crucified, he, he would say, he said, look, let them be one just as you and I are one. There's a oneness, there's a connectedness that Jesus is striving for, and that's going to happen through the cross. And he did it on the cross. And what he does is he, he restores us as the righteousness of God. It's not about how good we can behave or how good we can string actions together. When we stand before God, it's not going to be, well, I'm a good person. God's going to look at us and go, are you righteous or not? I'm a good person. No, no, no. Your goodness cannot attain righteousness. Your righteousness comes through what Jesus does for you. That and that alone, period. It's settled for all eternity. When Jesus said it is finished, it is finished. The work of salvation is finished. We don't have to try harder. We have to rest in his grace and let his righteousness restore us. We're redeemed for this so we can be together, connected, as different as we are. The beautiful connection of the body. And what's beautiful is, is the gospel's not just an event, it's a transformative life because you and I are transformed in the context of community. See, we're created in the image of God. That image has been marred and broken by sin. And Jesus, Jesus and Jesus alone provides the redemption so that that image can be recreated in me, reformed in me, that I can be reshaped in the image of Jesus. If you grew up in church, it's a big word called sanctification. It just means this, growing up in Christ. And there's some days, well, there's some seconds I'm good at it, and many hours I'm not. But it's not about my process. It's, it's me submitting to the power of the Holy Spirit at work in me because Peter said it, Paul said it, when we believe the Holy Spirit moved in, and we can't deny that, the Holy Spirit moves in and begins to transform me. And this happens in the context of relationship. My reconciled relationship with the Father, he begins to reshape me in his image. My relationship with you begins to encourage me and give me a place where I can experience tangibly the grace of God at work in my life. Where, where, where I'm encouraged, I'm spurred on, and I can share my failures in a safe environment, and I'm not judged for it, but I'm saying, man, just let's get up. It's not about you trying harder, Matt. It's submitting to the Holy Spirit to be at work in you. Let's do this. We got this. Jesus wants his image to look more clear in you today than it did yesterday. And our, our connection isn't just about looking more like Jesus. It's so that God uses the messiness of us. Because this quilt, you know, it, it wasn't even perfect when it was given to me. And that's why I love it because there's, there's hands that got on it and, and creates flaws. I've used it. There's holes in it. And we got some messiness in our community. But God uses our messiness to do something beautiful. Draw others to himself. Because people look at it and go, I can't live up to that expectation. And we say, we can't either. Come on in. But what we can do is we can't live up, but we can kneel down under the grace of Jesus. We need this. We need each other. Uh, we, were, we were talking about this, and I'll, I'll, I'll give you this quote to end on, to think on. Many of us think that community, gospel-centered community, is, is a safety net under a tightrope, that life is tough and we're just walking this tightrope. 
And my gospel community, my church family, is there to catch me when I fall. And that, that's a cute analogy, but that doesn't, that, doesn't, that doesn't sum up what this gospel-centered community is. Gospel-centered community isn't the net, it's the tightrope. Because I can't get where I'm going without it. I need you. We need each other. Because there's incredibly beautiful things an incredibly wonderful message that the world needs to hear because that quilt's finished, but God's work is not finished. And my prayer is that we continue to let him patch us together and piece us together so that we become a reflection of his glory in his image. Father, we love you. We thank you for your grace. Thank you for this gospel, your power unto salvation to all of us who believe whether Jew or Gentile. God, it's it's your power for all of us who believe. And so I'm asking for that transformation power this morning. God, for those in this room and those watching online, if they've never submitted to your Lordship and never said, Jesus, I, I need your redemption. I need your grace. I need you to redeem me. I'm asking you to give them that courage. God, not the strength to try harder, but the strength to humble themselves before you. And as you do your work, you finished it on the cross. Jesus, you died for us and you rose again and displayed the magnificent power. But what you do for us now is make us righteous, restored, redeemed, and connected. Father, for those of the redeemed, those of us of the redeemed in this room, even online, I pray that we live our lives not by the list, but by the grace and mercy and the reflection of you, Jesus, to the world around us. We love you. We praise you. It's for your glorious name we pray. Amen. Thank you for listening to this message from the Creek Church. We invite you to listen to other messages on this podcast. Or if you have any questions, you can email us at info at